Are we ready to pray? Okay. Thank you, Father God, just for this opportunity to lift your name on high, Lord, and just to see how obedience in Queen Esther's life, how it turned out. What an example, Father. When we're in that tight spot and we have to choose, Lord, she chose obedience, Father. May that be an example for us, Lord, in our lives, Father. And um, through your Holy Spirit, it could all be accomplished. So I thank you for that, Father God. And I just ask that you bless us all, Father, as we uh, hear from you, Lord, that anything that is of you would be put aside, Lord, and just your word be mentioned, Father. Thank you. And uh, I just thank you for the opportunity to share you. And I pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Okay. Um, first of all, to put you in a good mood, I want to share that tomorrow is my 64th wedding anniversary. Isn't that cool? All glory to God. Trust me on that one. You could keep praying for my husband. But anyway, so um, one of the things that I loved about, this is mostly based on our book club, you know, and the book that we uh, covered, which was I Perish, If I Perish, I Perish, which, of course, is about Queen Esther. And... Um, the book of Queen Esther really reinforced in me, and I know it did in most of the women that attended, that uh, there's a calling on our lives. There's uh, something that God has put an emptiness in our hearts that only can be filled when you're doing the work of the Lord and through the Holy Spirit, right? And to live with intention and... Um, and purpose, not just willy-nilly, well, today I'll go to church, next week, whatever, you know, to stick with it, you know, to be uh, waiting uh, for the purposes of God to appear in your life. We hunger for that. We don't know it, but we're hungering for that. And, you know, uh, I'm always in my clumsy way praying to the Lord for certain things. And I, the, the, the um, song Oceans really says it all for me. In my clumsy way, I pray differently, but I know he loves it. But this, this part of the song, Oceans, this, this is basically my prayer. It says, Spirit, lead me where my trust is without borders. Let me walk upon the waters wherever you would call me. Take me deeper than my feet could ever wander, and my faith will be made stronger in the presence of my Savior. You know, we want to stay in that place of safety all the time. I want God to, you know, when he pulls me, I'm scared, I'm shaking, and I'm, you know, quivering, I can't do that, Lord, you know, but he goes, well, you ask for it, and, you know, I answer prayer, so that's what he's doing tonight, so that's a good thing. So remember, uh, us as leaders, I'm going to kind of touch on our Bible studies, that um, we're here to serve you in our small groups, so if you're having a problem or maybe a problem with a Bible study or just whatever, Go to your leader and ask her for encouragement and to pray for you because uh, you'd be surprised that most of the group might be having the same problem. So trust your leader. Ask her to pray with you. And uh, that's our job as leaders. Okay, so I handed you a list of the cast of characters of that book. Don't pay attention to is a threefold. <laughs> that was supposed to be blocked off. So these are the different characters that will be talked about in this teaching. And those are the characters that were talked about in the book, I Perish, I Perish. So um, the book was written in an allegory form here and there. It just clears up some spiritual, spiritual truths and makes it a little easier to understand. An allegory is, for example, the snake is a serpent, like with Eve in the Garden of Eden. 
And then Jesus spoke to the Pharisees as a brood of vipers in Matthew 12, 34. A brood of vipers. Now, you could just, viper is a horrendously ugly snake and extremely poisonous. And it doesn't mean that all the stairs of the temple were just filled with snakes. It means that those Pharisees were acting like snakes, poison their lives, poison their spiritual lives. So our book started in chapter 3. We see that Haman was King Ahasuerus, or Xerxes, they call him. And he was uh, the king's right-hand man. So the king was under Haman's evil influence, and that's the flesh. You'll see him there. So Haman is the flesh, represents the flesh. You could say that Haman was making all the evil decisions and whispering in the king's ear. Haman was a fleshly and hateful influence. The king was not led by the Holy Spirit, which is Mordecai. He was led by the flesh, Haman. He did not have the discernment to make the righteous decisions. This is like us. When we're making decisions, we're not in that place like the king was. We have the Holy Spirit within us, living in us always. So are we seeking him before we decide making these decisions? Even the ones that are small decisions, remember the small ones are part of the larger decision that you're making. They kind of lead up. And so let's remember to take it to God and not lean on our own understanding. Before we go to the phone and call our friends and cry on the phone with them, and before we do this or read self-help books, really seek the Lord first. He's the one with the wisdom, right? So how are we influencing our family or those in our inner circle? Who is influencing us? Are we Haman, Mordecai? Are we Esther as we influence others? You know, I kind of feel like we're a little bit of everybody, of, of Esther, Mordecai, and sometimes, unfortunately, we are like a Haman, so we better be careful. Galatians 5.17 talks about the desires of the flesh are against the spirit, and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh to keep us from doing the things that you want to do. So Haman was in command, and according to the king, everyone had to bow, and they did as he passed by. That worked for Haman and his ego. His conceited flesh was satisfied when people paid homage to him, but now we have a problem. Mordecai will not bow down to Haman, and that is going to cause a big problem. As we see the happenings in the royal court talk about the wrong man in, and the right man out in the palace. We'll be hearing that phrase a lot. The book really mentions it a lot, about the wrong man in and the right man out. Before we were born again, how did we get the wrong man out and the right man in? Of course, our flesh thought that the right man was in all that time, right? We thought we were fine. So, But our flesh doesn't know, right? And we... The right man was in all the time. That's how I thought. You know, well, I don't really do that much bad. I'm all right, you know. But according to the Holy Spirit, I was far from right. And we can't do that work in ourselves. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. We can't get that old man out. That's the work completely of the Holy Spirit. This is what the gospel is all about. There needs to be a radical change of government in our lives. When the government within the palace changes and the right man is in and the wrong man is out, no one in the city of Zusa will have doubt that Haman is out and Mordecai is in. It's the same in our lives. After we were born again, we are now governed by the Holy Spirit. And most people see the big change in our lives. 
We are under God's government. And we even feel different. You know, things that would pass us by as, you know, not being sinful, now we're a little more guarded. We're a little, you lose, you use a little more discernment on your decisions. We're now aware of the evil part of our flesh and the holiness of the work of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, Mordecai, and the flesh, Haman, these are opposed to each other. The king, the soul, was dominated by Haman. His ways are the ways of death, full of hate, especially for the Jews. So the king was deprived of the wisdom of Mordecai, the Holy Spirit. Wrong man in and the right man out. When all Haman had, with all that Haman had on his plate, the thing that irritated him the most was that Mordecai wouldn't bow down to him. He had everything going for him. But that's what really, really just ruined his day. That quiet confidence on Mordecai's face who knew he is right and was at peace. Haman was threatened by Mordecai and didn't know why. Excuse me. Why is Mordecai at peace? And he, the great Haman, is so disturbed and unhappy with all that he has. He's still so unhappy. And it was all because of Mordecai. So Haman starts whispering in the king's ear that the Jews don't keep the king's law, that it doesn't profit the king to have the Jews around. Let's make a decree, king, that all the Jews will be killed. Haman even offered his own money, 10,000 talents, to put the king's treasuries, to put in the king's treasuries. 10,000 uh, 10, talents of billions today, okay? So he was pretty rich. The king kind of lost all his treasures because he had just lost a war. So this sounded good to the king. The king shows his confidence in Haman by placing his own signet ring on Haman's finger, giving him the powers of government. Haman had the mind of an unregenerated man that defies God and keeps the right man out and the wrong man in. So the edict was sent out to the provinces that all the Jews, young and old, should be annihilated in one day and all their goods taken. See, Haman's plan was those goods that were taken would be part of the cash that he was gonna give the king. So nothing could change that edict. The right man in to get the wrong man out was necessary. In Esther for one, we see Mordecai and all the Jews grieving when they heard about the edict. Mordecai and the Jews tore their clothes and put on sackcloth and went into the town square and smeared ashes and cried loud and bitterly. There was much mourning. And you know, when I first read this, I pictured it was Mordecai and a couple of his friends mourning with him, you know, just, you know, the, but it's all the children, all the people in the provinces all over, all over the land that the king had, they were all mourning because they were all going to be put to death. Can you imagine the sound of that, of people crying and just mourning and looking at each other, looking at their children? This was a very desperate day for them. So Esther was also grieved and did her best to comfort Mordecai, sending clothes so he could get out of that sackcloth, but he would not accept them. He would not be comforted until the wrong man was out and the right man would be in. Esther finds out Mordecai's concerns in detail by a servant that she had sent to inquire. Esther did not know this side of Haman. He always had a smile and exaggerated good manners. How slimy, huh? Doesn't that sound weird? Exaggerated good manners, you know, just bending way over, you know, to the queen and just being real, um, 
I think, suspicious. <laughs> she did not know his wickedness. She was discovering the kind of company that she'd been keeping in the palace, and it wasn't a pleasant discovery. I think that we could get caught up like Esther might have, not really noticing what's going on in front of us. Her decisions might only have been what color of veils she was going to wear or what facials she would choose. Because if you remember, they did that whole year of years of uh, facials and bathing and oil. You know, that's all they were interested in their looks. So the king would choose them, right? So that sort of thing was of her interest. They were big on the beauty treatments. And that could be a total distraction itself. We can get caught up on everyday schedules, our comfortable lives compared to others. No drama or maybe too much drama. We don't notice that some of our sisters, and this is so true, ladies. I mean, you know, I've been, you know, a, it's been a privilege for me to be a group, small group leader for a long time. And I've, I've seen this so many times. It's, it's just hard for me to see this. We don't notice that some of our sisters around us are like Mordecai. They're mourning about their spiritual lives. Not knowing how to fully trust God. How to have that joy in their lives that only Jesus can give. No matter what's going on in their lives, you can still have that joy of the Lord. That's a difference. And you've heard this before. It's not happiness. And, you know, it's the joy of the Lord is something very special. That whatever the circumstances are, you're going to be joyful because you trust in him. And they want that blessed life, but they don't know how to go about it. And that you know, that life that just like overflows with hope that, you know, tomorrow is going to be as wonderful as it was today. And you're just looking forward to that day when you get older, uh, that you see the Lord face to face. Okay. So Romans 15, 13 says, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. So, you know, we have to be more aware of our sisters around us that are Maybe not as drastic as Mordecai and putting ashes all over their face. and But they're mourning because they see you so excited about the Lord and they want that. Just don't know how to get that. They don't know how to trust in God. So we have to pray with them and show them. And sometimes sharing a testimony one-to-one -one is really a good thing. We have discovered that when the Holy Spirit shows us our own Haman... Maybe you have friends or people that are drawing you away from Christ or your own lack of commitment. That's big. That's big. Lack of commitment. Or other influences draw us away from Christ. I think we all know our little Hamans in our lives. We all know it. You don't want to face him, but he's there. Okay, now Esther is asked by Mordecai to step up, to go to the king and beg on behalf of the Jews, her people. No one yet knew that she herself was a Jew. Going before the king could mean death to Esther. For, being in, for not being invited, she invited herself uh, for the king's audience. You had to ask permission, almost like make an appointment, because he had a lot of bodyguards. He had lost the war. There was a lot of other foreigners that would come and try and kill this king. So he had a lot of rules and regulations. Even the queen had to have permission. Esther's response was simply to obey instructions from Mordecai the Holy Spirit. This is the way she was raised by Mordecai. I can see where we can say we were raised in our Christian life by the Holy Spirit. Have you ever thought of that? His wisdom gave us the ability to understand God's word and obey it. And he guides us throughout our life. He's always there. 
I think that sometimes we try to find the easy way out. Esther, she moved in obedience while we might be looking for someone else to do the task. You know, Most of the time, I think we're afraid to do what God is calling us to do. We're not brave on our own. We always need the Holy Spirit's strength to do anything that God asks us to do. Nothing that God is calling you to do can be done on our own strength. We all know that already. Mordecai sent Esther a message. If you don't do this deliverance for the Jews, it will come from another place. If you don't do this, you will perish. Who knows if you have not come to the kingdom for such a time as this. God will always find somebody else willing to step up. Somebody else that's available. That's all we have to do. Pastor talks about all the time, just to be available to the Lord. Maybe you're in a place for such a time as this, like Esther. You must, up, you must step up your walk with the Lord or distance yourself from friends that are not a good influence. You fill in the blank. Of course, it's all done with love. I think that many of us, um, we forget that we're doing God's work on our own. His presence will empower us. Lord, I can't do this on my own, but I know that you will work through me and your will will be done. Esther is asking all the Jews to fast on her behalf for three days and nights. Prayer is not mentioned in the book of Esther at all. Then she'll go to the king and says to herself, if I perish, I perish. That obedience in our lives makes us more alive to God alone and dead to self and self-interest. And you know what? It becomes a way of life. We don't do it perfectly, but that's our desire to uh, be obedient to God all the time. And like I said, I know none of us do it perfectly, but we pray for that, for that perfection that only the Lord can give us in the Holy Spirit. Esther invites Ahasuerus and Haman to a second banquet. Why two? Why not just get it over with on the first one? Well, maybe to allow passage for the king to forget her uninvited entry or to seek a time when the king was a little tipsy and be more compliant. I don't know what time it is, Vanessa. There's no clock in here. Am I okay? Hmm? Whew, forget it. Okay. We don't know, but the providence of God is timely. God is never late or early. Even if we don't see God's name in the book of Esther, you plainly see the thread of his timing and work behind the scenes. And isn't that true in our own lives when we've had some kind of a catastrophe or, or even a little thing that we were sent out to do in the Lord's name? You look back, and you could see how God worked it all out, how people were moved out of the way, how things were brought forward. You could see that thread of God's work in your life. You know, It's so precious you know, to see that and recognize it and thank him. It's really, really something. Haman was excited that he alone, with the king, was invited to the queen's feast. But every time he looked at Mordecai, he trembled with anger because Mordecai still would not bow down to him. After all the stuff he had, his pride was crippling him. So Haman goes home and brags to his wife and friends about the invitation to the feast. But they knew that this thing with Haman was troubling him. So they convinced him to build some gallows so Mordecai could be hanged in the morning. Can't you just picture them? Every night he comes home with the same story. Finally, the, his friends tell him, you know what? Why don't you just get busy and go build some gallows out there so you could hang him, you know, just get out of my way, you know, I don't want to hear you no more. That night before the second feast, the king could not sleep. 
they took out the book of records and they were read to him, hoping that he would be bored and fall asleep. Interesting that while God was doing this all behind the scenes, Esther, Mordecai, Haman, and all the Jews had no clue what was going on. God delivered an entire race of people in Persia because the king had sleepless night. As the pages were read to the king, it stated how Mordecai had said the king had saved the king from assassination. In a cold sweat, the king yelled out, how has this man Mordecai been rewarded for honoring and saving, uh, rewarded or honored for saving my life? The men answered, nothing's been done. Just then, Haman enters the court on his way to speak to the king about hanging Mordecai on the gallows he prepared for him. And here again is God's perfect timing. Haman came to the king with confidence, and the king asked, what should be done for the, to the man that the king delights to honor? And Haman, of course, thought the king was talking about him. So Haman said, oh, nothing but royal robes, the horse the king has ridden, a royal crown, and go through the town so all could see that this is the man the king delights in. Haman could already hear the cheering, the trumpets, and felt like he was going on the horse and could hear the applause of the people before him and bowing before him. And he stared into, distant, into the distance daydreaming about this. He was interrupted by the king. The king excited, and he told Haman, Yes, hurry, take the robes, the horse, and do so to Mordecai the Jew. Now humiliating, how humiliating for Haman. He had to dress him, crown him, mount him on a horse, and then parade him throughout the city. The king did not know that Haman was seething with hate for Mordecai as Haman tried to hide it. David Guzik says this, a commentator, the same irrational violent hatred that made Haman want to see Mordecai hang to his death is the same irrational violent hatred that made man want to hang Jesus on the cross. So Mordecai hurried home morning after he finished with uh, Mordecai and cried to his wife and friends what had happened. They showed no pity, but reminding them that he was so done. Ferguson, another commentator, observes that this shows the dangers of having ungodly friends and an ungodly wife. All his wife would say, you will not overcome him, but he will surely fall you will surely fall before him. At the second banquet, Esther held for the king and Haman. The king found out about Haman's evil plan for Mordecai. So they hanged Haman on the gallows that he had prepared for Mordecai. Wrong man out, and now the right man is in. On that day, King Ahasuerus gave to Queen Esther the house of Haman. These are the ten sons of Haman and his family, the enemy of the Jews. The king gives the right to handle them to Esther, who immediately turns it over to Mordecai. Mordecai also was given the king's very signet ring. Mordecai was the only one with the wisdom and the knowledge to handle such an important matter properly. The edict, that original edict to kill all the Jews was overturned by changing and making a new one, and there was joy in the city of Zuza. Haman and his ten sons were hanged on the gallows, and all the people of Susa were told of this. Now the right man, Mordecai, is in, and the wrong man, Haman, is out. In our lives, it means the Holy Spirit is within us and the flesh is crucified. 
the Lord Jesus came to get wrong man out and the right man in, in our lives. So the decree of Esther confirmed these matters of Purim. Today, Purim is one of the more popular Jewish feasts with costumes, games, plenty of fun noise. But at its heart, Purim is a celebration of a courageous heroine, a Jewish queen named Esther, who saved her people from certain demise in ancient Persia. Each year at Purim, the book of Esther is read. The end. <laughs>